sometimes we're forced into to write penalties. Um, generally, if we write one, that is to influence people to do what they're supposed to do, and then we try to make those go away. But it's a it's just a leverage tool if, if we get a contractor working constantly without pulling permits or something, then we do have to get a little more aggressive. You said write penalties. What exactly does that mean again? Um, basically a $5,000 ticket. Oh, dang. That's a lot. <laughs> but again, we make those tickets go away as mm. we get them to, to do what we need them to do to make buildings safe and all the rules. Yeah. It's the last thing we want to do, but... Welcome to Seaside 101. We're your hosts, Aiden. And Mary. This podcast is a collaboration between the City of Seaside and Seaside High School. In this series, we're interviewing Seaside City officials to learn more about what goes on behind the scenes. The goal being to educate the public and inspire people to get involved in their communities. In today's episode, we're interviewing Bob Mitchell, who is our building inspector. Okay, so let's start off with saying what are the responsibilities that your department is in charge of? Well, um... The department's community development, and that's broken down into two divisions, basically. One's planning, which is the land use, and then the other side of the fence is the building code part of it. So I'm the uh, building code part. Uh, so what would you describe your role, like, more in depth? What was your role in the department? Well, my role, because it's a small jurisdiction, is I'm responsible to do all plan reviews of uh, and that could be from building, from mechanical, plumbing, fire alarm, sprinkler systems, and doing the inspections and answer any questions that come in through the office. And, of course, I have to answer to the state. Um, going into your position, what was your background in education? So I started off as a, basically my father was a builder. So I started working as a kid um, in construction and then. It slowed down, so I had to go to California to get a job, and I worked down in California for a few years in construction. Then I broke my back, and then I went back to school and to learn something that uh, interested me was building codes. So I went to Chemeketa in Salem, and there's a two-year program there where I got a two-year degree. And then I got started as an inspector and did that for a few years, and then I got a senior inspector position, and then I moved into a building official position. So would you say that your father was, like, a big influence on, like, inspiring you to pursue this career? Yes. Uh, you know, seeing what my father had done yeah. and that he lived a good life and he worked hard. And I thought, you know, that's what I'd follow. I'd wanted to be a builder. Um, so I got into construction right off the bat. And because my father was a builder, I started early. Um, I was swinging a hammer probably when I was 12 years old. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, what would you say is the favorite, your favorite part of your job? Uh, helping people, I, trying to solve problems, uh, being an inspector, and plans examiner. There's sometimes issues that come up, and trying to find the easiest solutions to them is the most rewarding part of the job. So in your work, do you typically deal with both commercial and residential in, uh, in terms of building and the enforcement of codes? Yes, basically anything that requires a permit that would fall under my office. When it comes to the number of issues or complaints that pop up, do you see the majority of problems in more residential or commercial areas? Oh, I guess it's it's hard to, to say. I mean, sometimes we get a lot of complaints residential, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, fire marshal would be showing up going, I've got problems to help me, you know, in these commercial buildings. So sometimes the use of a building is not being used properly and I'll get called in. It's probably 50-50. Is there something that has recently inspired you? Uh, Probably the music that I play. I play in a Christian rock band. We write our own music. Um, The two people that are in the band, they inspire me a lot. They write great music and it's fun to reach out and try to touch others. What's the name of that band? Within. Within. Or, wait. <laughs> uh, the latest band I'm in is called About Faith. <sighs> Sorry, I'm a little nervous. The first, <laughs> okay. first no band I was in was, was uh, Within, and then the one I'm in now is About Faith. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is interested in pursuing a career similar to yours? I would recommend they start off at one of the community colleges. Uh, Portland has a program as well as Chemeketa in the building inspection technology. That kind of opened the doors for me. So once you have that degree, that really helps you get a job doing this. So as the head of the department, how many building inspectors do you have working for you at one time? How many people are out and about in the community making sure regulations are being followed? Um, Well, the county owns the uh, electrical program, so they have several inspectors that cover all the electrical um i cover everything else it's just me oh okay big job especially when something like this school comes across my <laughs> desk this is a very big job and trend west was a very big job too get me very busy for our on the street segment we've sent out our fellow fpla members into the city to gather questions from the public this question is directed to bob mitchell who is our building inspector I have a question for Bob Mitchell. Bob, what uh, project out of your career are you most proud of that you inspected on? Well, there's two that stand out above the rest. Uh, World Markdown Town is an eight-story building, and there was a lot of work and effort to get that uh, built correctly and built to code. But the one I'm most proud of is the school. Uh, It was a very large project, and I was wanted to take the extra time to make sure the taxpayers' money was well spent and they had a very safe building. So for listeners who don't know, uh, we're recording this podcast at the relatively new Seaside High School. So a question that I have for you then is, during the building process, what does it look like from a building inspection standpoint? It seems like it would take a lot of steps for such a massive project. I mean, the first part of the process is they submit plans and you do a plan review. And... You know, they asked me, do you need some help? And I didn't think it'd be a, a really big project like it was. I didn't didn't dream it'd be this big. So when they first came in and dropped the plans off, there was nine rolls that were huge. I mean, I'm just like, what are these nine rolls sitting in my office for? And and then I was told that was one of three, two of three, and three of three. Um, and these, I mean, these were really big rolls of plans. So it, I was shocked. Uh, um the detail that went into to getting this project approved and i mean just the plan review alone it took me a long time to go through all those and all that paperwork before anything was even laid down right yeah we i spent many many hours i i'm guessing you know 180 hours just looking at the plans and writing corrections and and then we'll like turn over those correction letters and then they'll go revise the plans again and then we keep going through the process to where we feel we've gotten all the building code issues resolved. 
<laughs> I took a lot of pride in my work, and I really wanted this to be the best school it could be, and I really did take my time, and I, I'm kind of proud of it, I guess. So the main reason that Seaside High School is relocated to the hill is that we would have been in big trouble if the tsunami hit. I mean, we were right on the water. I remember it took something like 15 minutes just to get to a safe place, which is just barely enough time. Not to mention, our route was over a bridge and right next to the highway, so it was far from safe. That's right, and we never know when the big one will happen. Seismologists estimate that there is about one in three chance of the tectonic plates coming loose within the next 50 years, but it could happen any day. After years of deliberations, our community decided that we should be prepared for that moment, and two-thirds of Seaside citizens voted to issue nearly $100 million towards a new school. It's nice not to have to worry about the tsunami. To add on to that, the students here at Seaside High really appreciate the modernizations the new school has to offer, and all of the new facilities that have been available to us. Our new school is an excellent example of why community involvement is important. We're really happy with the new school as it will be super beneficial for our students for years to come. It's important to exercise your right to vote and make changes that matter. What are some things to consider when assessing the safety of your workers and the construction site itself? Well, I, you know, we have um, a different department that does that. The state OSHA, you know, kind of evaluates how we work and make sure jobs are safe. So I don't have any authority on that part of it. Mine's only the building code part. Oh, so, okay. and I don't have other workers for me to uh, keep an eye on. So when I get out to the job site, I'm just responsible for myself. And I, I can't tell the other workers, you know, how to, to work safely. Unfortunately, that's OSHA's responsibility. So my responsibility is limited to the, enforcing the building codes. One of the pieces that I was interested in discussing was looking at reoccurring issues within some of the older buildings in Seaside. In downtown Seaside especially, a lot of those buildings are, are pretty old. I was curious about the necessity of updating them to uh, meet with modern standards. Um, only if they're going to do a very extensive remodel to where any of that type of upgrade will get triggered. So there's basically the state adopts an existing building code, and you really have to do a lot to a building to where we can make them do any upgrades. So basically, when a building's built, it's still legal today as long as the use hasn't changed. So it's basically grandfather to all the current codes. So as we keep developing codes, they're really only applicable to new buildings or the remodel part of the building. I mean, we do have a dangerous building code, so if I find something I feel is dangerous, I can address it through that route. Uh, last question I have here. I read something about stop working orders. What, could you explain what that is? Um, I guess it's a tool that I only use if I feel if somebody is working to a point that they're only going to make it harder on themselves to resolve a problem. So if I see somebody working without a permit and I know what they're doing is creating more problems for themselves, I might use that as a tool to help them help themselves. So it just means you have to stop work or you can get that penalty again. So it would be more like a personal reason rather than like contributing to the construction? Uh, a building official would make that decision when he feels that he needs to place a stop work order. So basically, that's generally when somebody's working without a permit. But instead of writing that big red flag, I may mean, go talk to him, explain to him, look, I see you're working without a permit. It's better just to come forward and get the permit. But if we feel that, you know, the contractor's out of town and they're just coming in on the weekends and what they're doing is not going to help them, we'll put that stop order up to get their attention.
You know, one question that I have is what if a community member decides that they want an addition for their house and maybe it violates some regulations or they, you know, simply didn't get a permit? How does that typically get enforced? Do you have to rely on other citizens reporting questionable things that they notice? Yeah, I mean, if the question comes up and we do get people complaining, we'll go to our street file and see if there's an active permit. And if there's not one, I would write a letter just saying, hey, it's come to my attention that you're doing something that requires a building permit and ask them to come forward and submit the plans. And go from there. And that's a pretty straightforward process. If someone wanted to add something to their house and needed a permit, what would that process look like? I mean, generally people will come in and, and ask the questions, can I put something on the back of my house? So we would start in the planning department, make sure they meet the setbacks, the lot coverage, and the zones correct for what they want to do. So once we get that idea that the lot coverage setbacks and it's going to be a permitted use, then we'd get them to start drawing the plans and submit them for review. That finishes off the episode. Thank you again to Bob Mitchell for coming in and taking the time to talk to us. If you want to learn more about how things are run or want to get involved in your community, feel free to check out www.cityofseaside.us to stay updated with the latest of what's happening in Seaside, Oregon. Hey, y'all. Whether you've watched our episodes from the start or are just tuning in now, we really appreciate your support on this series. This is actually our last episode. Uh, Mary and I will be graduating high school pretty soon here, and we're wrapping this project up. We've learned a lot from the Seaside 101 podcast, not only about local government, but also so many other positive skills that we can utilize throughout our futures. So we'd like to thank John Rail, who is the assistant city manager for Seaside. John's help has been invaluable in building this thing. Seaside 101 was his vision, so once again, we're thankful for his involvement. We'd also like to thank our FBLA advisor, Mike Verholst, because we really wouldn't be here without him. I remember getting an email from him about an upcoming project over a year ago, and here we are. Not only did he trust us with this project, he also taught us nearly everything we know. He instructed us on editing episodes, writing professional emails, giving powerful presentations, and managing large-scale projects. So we'd like to thank him and our FBLA chapter for their help. Lastly, we'd like to thank Tyson Ferris, who is a friend of Mr. V's. He actually had some podcasting experience under his belt and was able to teach us industry standard techniques. His support really helped to bring the podcast together. To wrap things up, we'd like to once again reiterate just how important it is to get involved within your community. Don't be afraid to connect with your local leaders or attend city hall meetings. It can be extremely valuable to take part in your community. For the last time, we're your hosts, Aiden and Mary, signing off.